Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Gluten-free, unless the gluten-free option is shit, then I'll have anything. Okay. I do think people need to stop remembering that I'm gluten-free. They always come up and be like, you know, you're eating pizza. It's like, yeah, fucking no. This is Everything is Content. I'm Beth. I'm Richera. And I'm Anoni. This is the weekly pop culture podcast where we all get together and have a big chat about the stories that have ignited the discourse this week. We're here to add a sprinkle of chocolate on the top of your content cappuccino. On today's episode, we'll discuss the 52-part TikTok and, brace yourselves, J-Lo's new film. If you love the podcast, make sure you're subscribed and follow us on Instagram at everythingiscontentpod. This episode contains some sensitive topics. Please check the episode description for a list of trigger warnings. Every week, we'll tell you what we've been loving since we last spoke. What have you girlies got in for us this week? So I read a piece in the New York Times about Call Her Daddy. Do you girls listen to Call Her Daddy? I don't. I've listened to a couple. I'm not a religious listener, but I'm very aware of Call Her Daddy as a, as a show. Okay, so you, you'll know it's founding father well it's founding fathers but now one of them having set off on her own path Alex Cooper yes so this piece dives into how Alex Cooper's kind of set up a podcasting and I guess video kind of podcasting empire she's got um people like Alex Earl and Madeline Argie kind of setting forth the 2.0 of what she created with Call Her Daddy with their own podcast it was super interesting because I feel like I don't know, her story is kind of wild. And the Call Her Daddy podcast is this insane phenomenon that's rivaling possibly only Joe Rogan and being one of the most popular podcasts there are globally. And I think reading this profile was super interesting, just hearing what she's got set out for the next 10 years, which is basically she has accepted and pre-planned that her podcast won't be the number one women's podcast for the next 10 years, which is why she's got these like newer generations doing the next legwork for her and she's going to sit back and let call her daddy eventually move out of the way for them to take over Mm -hmm. it's really interesting I actually did read the piece I found it fascinating because she's also the same age as I'm going to say us I know we're like give or take a year she's 29 right and she was I didn't know that yeah but it said that I think it says it in the piece and she said that she obviously is not going to be the bright young thing forever yeah but she like studies what Gen Z reels are like. She like researches. And I was thinking, God, that's so interesting because I feel like I'm going the other way where I'm really pleased to have aged out of what's cool. I'm buzzing for the fact that I, it doesn't really matter if I'm uncool now. I, yeah. can't, I kind of hate the idea of having to stay up to date forever. So she yeah. wants like a media empire. Is that what she's sort of completely. saying in the piece? Completely, yeah. completely, Christ. completely. The thing I found really interesting is she's, built up this podcast it started off as kind of like locker room chat for women it was really sexualized they were talking about um her and her 
previous co-host who exited the chat very unceremoniously, um, Sophia Franklin, basically used to chat about just like giving blowjobs and like really raunchy sex. And it used to be really, really just like out there. Mm. But she's transitioned the podcast, especially on her own, Alex Cooper. I think it seems like she wants it to be taken a lot more seriously. Just this week, she had a podcast with Misha Barton, who hasn't done interviews for over a decade, maybe even two decades. Um, And she talks about what it was like, you know, during the OC and having a prescription pill problem. She really does get these celebrities who refuse to do media. Zayn Malik. Yeah. Literally on her podcast and... Whether you like her or not, what you think about her interview technique, which has come under criticism for not being too probing, she's getting the people that like, you know, chat show hosts for like decades have been trying to get. I also thought it was so interesting the piece she said that she doesn't let publicists sit in on the interview. She doesn't let them have any control over what they're asked and she makes them sit Mm. in a separate room and watch it on camera because publicists are kind of the problem with the death of the celebrity interview. I think we've spoken about it before. Mm -hmm. So it is fascinating and I think because she's not probing, that's why celebrities trust her. Yeah. Because it's not necessarily journalistic. It's like allowing them to have their space, but they kind of know that they're not going to be... She's not going to take the piss. She's not yeah. going to be probing in that way. Because that's otherwise like... she would lose that. She's got this access because she's not pushing them too far. I do feel like as women especially, you get more power and you have to put yourself out there. You have to talk about the blowjobs and all of this. At a certain point, you transition to being like more of the puppet master because you pay your dues by being like really vulnerable and like doing all the legwork. And then at some point you're like, I just want to run this shit. Mm-hmm. So like, good luck to her. I'm, I'm, I'm going to might read this actually, which is, I don't have any interest in her until now. Honestly, go down on the deep dive of what happened with her and her fellow uh, podcast yeah. hosts. I just, I've been getting really into like, business feuds and just like feuds between two people who are best friends like I that as a genre of like gossip is so interesting Lauren and Heidi since that <gasps> I, yeah the beginning what have you been loving this week Beth I've been loving rom-coms girls <gasps> I have watched two rom-coms in the last week and both of them I enjoyed and I've just got such a hunger now to watch more what are they what are they so I watched Anyone But You which oh, is yes. the Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell, Glenn Powell. It's about two like almost lovers turned enemies who are like thrown back together when they have to go to a shared loved one's wedding. It's got like so many of the amazing rom-com conventions like will they, won't they, fake relationship, enemies to lovers. Like it's good. It's good. Okay. It's good. Well, it's pretty good, but I think it's so good because we haven't had a really good one in a while that I was like breath of fresher. Initially, all the like stills came out of them and everyone was like, oh my God, sex, beautiful bodies, like they're in love. And then we kind of got a bit more from the trailers and we, everyone was like, oh no, this is going to be absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. And then it's been like a massive blockbuster, hasn't it? So it was, I think the budget was about $25 million hairs and it's made, of this week's made like 190 million. So nice. commercially it's doing so well. You're right, when it first came out or like the trailers first came out, there was a lot of confusion. It was quite a messy publicity I almost was like maybe I'm not gonna bother I, watching I, it. I I was exactly the same did watch it without high high hopes and was just really impressed because I think it shows I mean the the amount it's gross to show there is like a real appetite for it mm-hmm. and it's quite feel good it didn't like blow me away in the way that like a perfect when Harry met Sally rom-com will but I think it was a real like return to form. It felt very like 2000s, had a bit of that that sparkle. Was it a fun that. soundtrack and like- Fun soundtrack. They have like sing-along bits. They have like, it was it was very fun. So I would recommend watching that. I think it's in cinemas at the moment, out on streamers end of this month. I also watched Upgraded, which <gasps> is on- that. 
Did you like it? It's on Amazon Prime. What and is I it? Sat, oh, it's, it, it's another rom-com. It's good. Camila Mendes, who was in Do Revenge and Riverdale, a former lover of Charles Melton. What, in real life? Quickly. Yes. They I, I, I stand that relationship. And actually, she's got some real acting chops, I will say. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous eyebrows. If you haven't seen Do Revenge, also watch that. Love oh, that. she's gorgeous. I don't think I've seen her in anything. Yeah, so yeah. I would I'd watch Do Revenge. I'd watch this. It's So it's about like a art history graduate who's like kind of struggling to find a job. Yep. And she kind of miraculously gets taken on this trip to London to be her like scary boss's a third assistant. Yep. Her boss is paid by Marissa Tomai. Yep. Who um, I love. Very, the whole, that segment specifically is very reminiscent of Devil Wears Prada, which I loved. Mm. That um, premise kind of reminds me of the other Glenn Powell film. They're like both assistants. Oh yeah. Um, which I did actually really Zoe, like. Set it up. You set it up. I thought did that you watch that? Zoe Dutch. Two overworked assistants who work in the same building. You're right, as Zoe Dutch. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it is very is similar. Is it very similar premise? It is very similar in that she's like, on the plane she gets upgraded on a different flight and she's mistaken for someone who's like a lot more powerful and rich than she is and it's like all kind of miscommunications yeah, yeah. she gets deeper and deeper in this lie there's a lot of snogging in it which i like yes oh. also yeah yeah so the rom-com renaissance is happening and i could not be more thrilled here here and anoni what have you been loving this week i went to cinema also i went to the everyman but i saw a film which is on a very different tack from used guys i went and saw zone of interest have you heard of it mm. i have i i've heard amazing things about it yeah so I thought it was incredible it's I think it's quite hard now to tell a story about the holocaust about Auschwitz from a a perspective that feels it doesn't feel like it's expanding a story that we've heard before kind of thing Mm -hmm. and why this is done so powerfully well is it's you're basically in and amongst this really powerful Nazi family and you never actually see what's kind of happening beyond the wall of their home but it's basically all done through like sound and light and because they're neighboring Auschwitz, so they're right? neighboring so their yeah. house they live in this massive house which apparently genuinely did exist behind the wall like yeah. it's wow. actually a real house so that's even worse but you throughout the film you kind of just see how dehumanized um the jewish communities were and like how they were spoken about and you sit in the cinema and the screen just kind of goes dark and there's really weird sounds and it's so unsettling and it does it for like minutes wow. and so you're kind of sat there and straight away you're like on the back foot like you're really uncomfortable and then a lot of the time it will just be these sirens and you'll see smoke and you'll hear noises and then you just see this really rich family getting richer and richer and their life getting better and better. And so that's, for me, I thought it was actually so poignant and so harrowing and it was done in such a clever way where I feel like it really plays with your sense of identity of yourself because again, as we've spoken about before, something not dissimilar is happening and mm-hmm. it's kind of like watching two truths coexist at the same time and the fact that we're living through it, I think made it even more poignant yeah i i really 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 want to see it this week mm. i think we mentioned this last a uh, few weeks ago with the beyonce super bowl episode how what we want is for people to want to change things if they have a platform like she does um and it just made me think i wonder if people will come away from this film and realize how easy it is to just like burrow into your own personal life and ignore everything around i think that is a, a topic is really interesting and like really important So this week, a 52-part TikTok series called Who to Fuck? Did I fuck <laughs> That's TF standing for the fuck. Went viral. We asked you on our Instagram at everythingiscontentpod if you'd seen it. Most of you hadn't, but at Chelsea underscore Bryn, you said, no, please give Cliff notes. Thanks. And 
we shall. So uh, user Risa Tisa shared the wild story of her marriage to her ex-husband, who she says has a United Nations of red flags. <laughs> the entire series is five hours long if you watch end to end. And I did see some Twitter user talking about it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to watch that 52 part TikTok in my head. I'm imagining it's like five minutes because I just don't have any concept of time apparently. And then she was like, I have to spend five hours watching it. So the first video of the series has 7.5 million views and most of the videos within the series have around a million views. Have you guys watched it? I watched three and then I read a synopsis on Rolling Stone today. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank God for Rolling Stone. I mean, I didn't read that one, but someone had to do it. So I watched maybe four at double speed because I wanted to see what kind of storyteller she was and Mm. just like kind of get it because I was like either she's an amazing storyteller I'm going to be sucked in or everyone has got too much time in their hands and which one she, she was, was taking a goddamn time to get to the point she really she got mine and some of the details and I don't know whether they become relevant later on but she was like this is the kind of the road we got off this is where we lived precisely and I was like are these relevant for later or are you just wasting my goddamn time you know what's so funny that people say that they can't be bothered to watch like uh, Killers of the Flower Moon which is like three and a half hours but then they'll watch a five and a half yeah. hour I know TikTok TikTok series of a woman like talking in a car I'm the other way around though because I could sit through I love a long film I find short form videos on social media much less engaging I guess if you listen to it as like a podcast a lot of people said they played it on yeah. two speed and did it while they were like doing chores and stuff which five hours five and only you love a long yeah, I love podcast long so maybe, maybe that's what people listen. are doing this is longer than even like the longest Lord of the Rings extended edition yeah and that's got like fit Justice League what is it a director's cut or whatever was like four hours four hours and people are tapping out that was boring as shit but you also <laughs> so Beth you sent me a summary that was like a quite a long summary and then I found a tweet that was literally just like three lines and it summarized the whole thing as well <laughs> oh, just, a story could boil down to three lines yeah I think it's just like so basically the premise is she meets someone and it's just before lockdown it's just before lockdown in the US and then they have to lock down together that's it and then so going on from that it turns out there's a whole web of lies and her husband isn't really who she thinks he is and lots of kind of like disingenuous stuff going on and she doesn't name her ex about the series but another TikTok user later find out his identity and they leak (gasps) it on the app god internet going too far yet again well this is the thing i think even if you think details are really vague people are i've had it before people have like found out weird stuff about me online through very minimal information sleuths on the internet so that's almost i think maybe where part of the watching it comes from is maybe people thinking like they want to work it out i don't know yeah because it's the story we we actually aren't satisfied with what people give us even five hours worth of details we think i'm entitled to a bit more i think we've spoken about this before how people just cannibalize content so quickly they're looking for like more and more and more and more i feel like what's happening with these story time things on tiktok somebody puts something out and everyone's like we've got to continue the story we've got to continue the story let's like dig up more let's like keep it going Mm. and it's just like i don't know it's just it's just very very shit i feel like the fact that they've like people have doxxed this guy obviously he doesn't sound like a great guy but it's not for us to like dig into his life and like find some retribution or even like push him into the limelight and also just this thing of like people wanting to to avenge people on their behalf like we've spoken about it with celebrities but what where is that coming from is there something missing in modern human society where we're not filling some kind of hole where we want to feel like we're 
I don't know if it's a hero complex. I think it's I don't like just like lack of justice, lack of justice and like finality and a lack of inclusion in a lot of things. Everything is so shit and there aren't really like comeuppance for the bad people, the big yeah. bad people. So I think we do have that like, well, I can We're grab like this bit of justice here. Yeah, it's like people really want to out people. People want to film people doing wrong. People are quite puritanical and it's happening so widespread in so many different places. I definitely think it must, exactly what you said, lack of inclusion, lack of justice in our own lives. And so we're latching onto some stranger on the internet story that again, we don't know how much is true. Yeah, and we get people fired or like, I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the royal, yeah. not us three here, but not the royal, get people the fired, royal. you know, kind of decide that someone's going to have to suffer these great consequences for being like, yeah, a shit and a liar. But that woman is sharing her story. Surely she has the right to decide how much of her life and her like previous partner is going to be like affected by this. But have people know nothing? Like, I don't know why people... TikTok is a funny, I think it must be the the thing of TikTok where you don't necessarily have a cohesive following, but one piece of your content could go really viral. Mm-hmm. So it's like people aren't, I don't know if that woman would have anticipated, well, no one could have anticipated that, could you? Well, she did a 52 part, which makes me feel like there is some thought behind what you're going <laughs> to yeah. do. I don't think she would have realized it potentially could have gone as viral and as crazy as it is now. And everyone's talking about this, but you don't do a 52 parter unless you're looking for viral fame no. as well. And it's lower production value than if she'd done it on YouTube. And I wouldn't have watched on YouTube because I only watch people's content I know on YouTube yeah. whereas TikTok she plugged in her phone she was on a long drive she just told a story as Where she was went she driving to it was God, so fucking no, long she had her little curlers on that, girl, early in the that morning. woman was leaving the country like. she is fleeing but yeah I just found that really interesting it was very like oh I'll just plug in and I'll tell a story versus like YouTube to me is a bit more production heavy but I just realized she would have been driving for over six hours to record all of that America's did she continue big, to do it? it that way because I only watched her hair like the same well I didn't get to the end yeah, fair, we all fail to watch maybe our like attention spans are broken or we value our time I want to think it's that this really reminds me of you, do you remember the West Elm Caleb yeah situation <gasps> oh my god the guy that was dating everyone yeah so this guy basically multiple women just came out with these stories about this guy who um was very problematic to them like not great they got their stories out and then what happened is the internet went into a frenzy tracked down the guy and just doxxed harassed and trolled him and yeah it's just like this story that keeps repeating where it's like internet vigilantes just like quote unquote fixing the problem and I feel like there's just there's no nuance with how the internet treats anything where it just feels like it's like opening up a tidal because he wasn't he was just a kind of a bit of a cad Mm. he wasn't abusive he wasn't kind of you know, in relationships with multiple women, he was just dating around. He was the kind of, you'd warn your friends, oh, don't bother going there. Yeah. Like he won't text but you yeah, back. Yeah, wasn't doing anything untoward. We do the same such. as like, with like kind of grand schemers as we would with like people who are just bits of, bit of a shit. But this, no. I was going to say that it's like this kind of witch hunt to, to anyone that's wronged anyone. Whereas like, I'm sure all of us at some point in our lives have treated someone in a way that we would look back and go, God, I wish I hadn't done that. But that also doesn't define us as like an abusive, awful person. Whereas a story like I'm trying to think I'm sure I've had an argument with a friend that if they retold it in a certain way on TikTok and people found out it was me that would be who I am in the in the eyes of the internet and yeah. it's like that's not how it should be because all of us have done things wrong said things wrong acting mm-hmm. in a way that's not right hopefully we grow and learn and do them less and less but throughout our lives we will continue to Absolutely. offend and, and like whatever disagree yeah I think everyone needs to have some humility and not be so moralistic about everything or so puritanical about it agree agree We'll leave a link to the full series in the show notes if you've got, I don't know, spare five hours. And um, yeah, see if you can get further than we did. (laughs) 
life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, you uh, <laughs> sound <laughs> so resigned. Um, we have to talk about JLo's new film. <laughs> this is me now. Um, Sorry, this is me now. Okay, yes, no. This is me now. <laughs> Dropped on Amazon Prime. Um, have you have you seen this? Yeah. Well, it, I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I feel like it happened to me more than I watched it. Yeah, and I'm offended <laughs> that it's called a film because I was more than happy would... to sit down and watch a little new J-Lo rom-com. So you I were was... expecting a film? I was expecting a movie. I was expecting a movie what too. What is it? It's more of a <laughs> musical adaptation of her dreams steampunk edition. I think it's a statement of artistic intent, but failed. I think she put... I want to make a film about me now into an AI script writing bot. And this was the result. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's defined as a romantic drama musical film based on JLo's ninth album of the exact same name, which also dropped at the same time. It's a 65 minute long film directed by Dave Myers starring JLo. And it's based on a fictional narrative loosely based on her marriage to Ben Affleck. It's part visual album, part rom-com, part action movie, part sci-fi, part madness, part nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the whole thing was just completely bonkers. I still don't know what happened to me. No, yeah. I went into a sort of like catatonic state, which first happened to me when I watched a, like a cat's live action or like a cat's movie yeah. when I was a kid, like a really shit like Amdram one. Like I couldn't move. I couldn't think. <laughs> I felt like hot and sweaty. It was really an experience. But- I like a conceptual visual animal. I don't know, like Lemonade, for example. I mm-hmm. loved that. I watched that. I've watched it more than once. Oh, let's not even speak about Lemonade in this. No, but what I mean is I'm not normally offended by an album being turned into like a kind of feature length yeah. visual thing. This one, however, first of all, I was so confused because there was so much singing. There is no story <sighs> that like, it just about starts to get, feel like it's going to be a film. And then I was like, okay, I'm seated. Let's find out what happens. She burst into song again. The scenes were just chop and change between mm-hmm. sort of like realistic. Then she was in space. She was in her AI house. Dream sequences. She was in a dream. Then she was in therapy. There's a really serious section that runs throughout about star signs. There's a Zodiac... Um, task force observing her life with a crazy cast up yeah, there Post Malone ZZ Palmer Kiki Palmer Kiki, oh sorry Kiki Palmer <laughs> thinking about ZZ Mills I was thinking of ZZ Mills Jane Fonda yeah, from Jane. Monster-in-Law amazing to call that favour back in um, Sofia Vergara and obviously these Trevor people Noah. were never in the same room filming it's all like these people did not meet 
even in rehearsals because they're <laughs> so offbeat like one person will say something and nothing will make sense and i'm an astrological girly i like asking people their star signs but like two minutes into the film she asked her therapist what his wife's star oh, her sign therapist is. is fat joe the rapper by the way yeah. <laughs> as he would be and then there's this other guy that has a really bad British accent who's killing me. Horrific accent. Really bad. Worse than Anne Hathaway's mm-hmm. Yorkshire in one day. Don't know how she got such a diverse cast, like the most famous people in the world and then kind of movie extras. For this, can you imagine sending them the script? So apparently this was self-funded. Can see that, can yeah. see that. $20 million. <laughs> yeah. How many? Oh. $20 million. <gasps> her own. That, she's really wasted that. I feel like the point of the film, I've retrospectively tried to work out what the fuck the point was but I think the point was she's trying to assert some kind of narrative around the fact that for the last 15 years J-Lo has been kind of oh poor J-Lo can't make a marriage work Mm -hmm. poor J-Lo it's pathetic and kind of like sad that she can't make a marriage work I feel like this is her trying to get the narrative on track and also make some kind of statement to be like I figured it out I figured out what my life is eventually it was about loving myself which is a really nice thing but the whole thing is I had to work so hard to figure that out yeah it's kind of a vanity project with that message like tacked on at the end about like yeah I'm you know it's been me all along so she's trying to say I know you're making these jokes about me because all of these friends and characters that are like around her are going oh she's never gonna make this work they're like making bets on how long the relationship's gonna last and so she's obviously kind of like saying I've heard you all bitching about me and Mm. I'm gonna prove to you it just feels like, is she not old enough now to kind of think, you know, you're really successful. You have fan love. Fair enough, put another album out there. But like, who is this for? I actually would have loved a, a new J-Lo film. I quite enjoy I it. Love I love J-Lo like, the actress. Oh, I, I really like J-Lo. her rom-coms. I enjoy it. I find them quite like cathartic and fun. I don't really see the appeal of this. Maybe if you are a diehard, everything J-Lo touches you, you want, sure. But why do, also Ben Affleck is... A credible actor. He's, he's in, got he's named as a d- director on the film. Is he? I think he's a producer and producer. he's in the film. And yeah. he's in the film. And he at no point was like, look, my gorgeous, beautiful <laughs> wife, you are talented and I love you, but this is batshit. <laughs> like, I do love a man that will prop up his wife's delusions and like be a part of it. She was obviously like, listen, I've got this money. I'm going to make this film. And he was like, hand me the prosthetic nose. I'm going to be oh, there too. God. So I mean, props to him. I'm kind of have to give her props to make something so like boldly weird and shit and properly like stand by it and be like, this is me now. Some of the positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes really make me laugh because they are just as confusing as the plot. <laughs> so one of them was... The poignancy of that dilemma cannot be underestimated, even as the absurdest tendencies of this musical drama takes the cake. Absurdest they, tendencies? They all sing the same song of survival. <laughs> Dude, it's not tendencies. I don't, even know, just I don't even know what that means. Are we missing the point? Is this a great film? No, no. <laughs> if that is if that is the case, then like... You will never um, hear from me again. playful self-indulgence and Lopez's homage to singing in the rain leave a sweet taste in the mouth, just like the post-credits outtake involving wedding cake. Oh. A wonderfully self-important autobiographical musical reworking of The Clash of Titans. None of Cla- this is words. What are you words. talking about? The one that I believed was, as a short film, it's nonsensical. As a commercial for Jennifer Lopez's album, 
it's even worse. <laughs> it is. I don't think her album is doing particularly well. No. Apparently it's a flop. I, so I'm subscribed to her newsletter. And Are you? Yeah, I How am. How long was that been around? Was that for research or just generally? No, so I subscribed for research because apparently that's where she revealed that her and Ben Affleck got married. Uh, she Yes. Yes, yeah. So I, I am subscribed to it. I keep thinking I mean to delete it because it's just honestly like spam. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, she lied and said that her song is at number one and we know that that's not true. I checked oh. today. Um, was it number not. one for like a minute? Do you think people might be lying to her? Well, everyone's lying to her. That's why the film got made. Oh, I feel quite... I mean, no, actually, I don't feel sad for her in the, in the least. I think she's probably really proud of this. Something to do, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I just... We all need a hobby. I just feel sad that she feels like this is the way to confirm that, you know, she's made it or whatever. It's like... If you really are that happy and you found your love, like, why do you have to make this? Just AI exist film? in the narrative that is true. Yeah. It didn't give me, it didn't teach me anything. It felt like it could have been maybe an email. Maybe she was just having a fun. Maybe we're being too deep about it. Maybe she just genuinely thought this is creative. This is fun. Yeah, maybe. I've got 20 million cash spare. <laughs> I could have had that, j Just have one. Just even one that. million. One hundred ten <laughs> grand. Is there a chance this is meta and she's just poking fun at the whole thing? Because... There's one scene where she talks about being a hopeless romantic and she's wearing a t-shirt that says endangered species. <laughs> I believe she's so earnest as a person. Like there's very heavy handed metaphors throughout this. Like at one point she's literally in a glass house. Yeah. I just thought, oh my God. There's no new, there's no I actually loved that apartment there. <laughs> I mean, where'd you get changed in that? But also why was she in space? I mean, there was so, I had so many questions in the two <laughs> minutes. I was like, what is going on? I do want people to watch this just to join us in the kind of like, J-Lo and Juice psychosis that we're experiencing. It felt like a psychosis. So it, listeners, please do watch this. It is on Amazon Prime now. So I want to talk about personal essays this week. One, because I've read some absolute corkers and I'm hoping you've read them too. And two, just because I have been thinking about personal essays thinking about like do I want to write more are we kind of exploiting young writers are we like sharing too much on the internet basically which is sort of what we've touched on this week and last week but Mm -hmm. I just want to flesh that out a bit so on Valentine's Day last week The Cut published an essay called The Law of Divorce by writer and author Emily Gould Um, and the day after they also published um, a piece by their financial advice columnist Charlotte Cowles who Details an account of getting scammed for fifty thousand pounds or fifty thousand dollars. I read both. So, like, of these. they had these two like quite personal essays go really viral at the same time, and so everyone was discussing both the pieces, what happens in them, the women involved, and like personal essays as a medium, the sort of morality and like the ethics involved in commissioning these pieces what we get from them and like why they go viral yeah especially with the both of them I think it's really interesting they got a lot of flack I saw online and it was like I I saw it and I just went but the scamming one I mean what were your thoughts the scamming one was bonkers I mean one the fact that she is a financial advice columnist was the scam was elaborate but it was like a one-day scam it involved like fake fbi agents murder plots kind of like she went to the bank and took out this huge amount of money the fact that she works in this and she got scammed it was really mind-bending i try not to be judgmental because the thing is literally anyone can get scammed but it kind of pushed the boundaries of like 
believability at times i've never been so grateful to not have fifty thousand yes. pounds <laughs> available to me like if they tried to scam me luckily like you'd be like well well bad luck fine, have 500 quid you did get scammed though that time oh no, my god not that you have to talk about here, but I sorry when i got scammed <laughs> um but it was a thousand times less than that lady <laughs> it was quite a cute scam it was a 50 was... pound scam i tried to sign my dog up to be my emotional support animal and um <laughs> i got a an A4 laminated piece of paper in the post. <laughs> and then I Googled it afterwards and it's like a really famous scam and uh, that like everyone's known about fears and so I don't know. It can happen. And I think the reaction to this shocked me because I mean, okay, maybe she did like ruin her credibility by writing this piece. Yeah, I was quite surprised she wrote this because her job is like financial advisor. Would you really trust a financial advisor that had been scammed so egregiously? I don't Hell know. no. So the other piece content wise was about Emily Gould, who is a writer that I'm familiar with. She had a kind of psych psychiatric crisis a few years ago which led to all kinds of like erratic behavior and basically like the the functional breakdown of her marriage Mm -hmm. and her deciding you know she was in an inpatient facility deciding whether her marriage was over kind of got to the point where they announced their divorce and only after that did she and her husband kind of sit down and decide are we going to do the very hard grueling work of mending this marriage or are we going to end it so I thought it was this fascinating interesting piece where she lays bare like the worst thing she's ever done, which I think is a really vulnerable, generous thing to do. Mm-hmm. And readers were like, what a toxic bitch, what a manipulator, like really went in. The way she frames that essay is basically like her year of f- deciding whether she's going to divorce her husband. But really the story is her psychiatric uh, breakdown and her uh, time at the facility and like realizing about herself. So I thought that was kind of bizarre Mm -hmm. and I think that probably opened the gateway for people to be really angry because she kind of leads you through this path of um fixating on her husband's inability to do things you know the way he like fails to show up for her blah 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 blah. so it feels like it feels quite blamey on him yeah but I understand why it's framed like that because it's an interesting narrative device to be like well actually I had some stake in this and I was part of the problem but I think people just didn't read it like that. People were just like, oh, she's blaming her husband. And actually she was awful to him as well and never fesses up to it. She was being honest about resentment. She was like, there's gender roles and drudgery in my marriage. Even though my husband's like a good feminist man, I'm still doing all the cooking. He's still, Mm. his career's still first because I've had the children, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah. I guess to go back to the concept of being a personal essay, my question is, I think you're right. It's very generous to talk about the worst sides of ourselves. We never want to talk about that. But to me, this is the kind of thing I love reading in fiction. And as someone who writes, I would prefer the idea of being that vulnerable and honest in a body of work, which was a fictionalized story. Mm -hmm. Because in a weird way, I feel like that carries more, I think you can convey more. It feels sad to me that she would write such a harrowing personal Mm -hmm. expose, which will live on the internet forever and that everyone who knows her will read and that also will be quite ephemeral in that like next week there'll be another article that everyone will be talking about whereas that could have been like a really transformative novel about the complexities between yeah I I mean I agree but I I think there's some real value in knowing in no uncertain terms that other people are living those worst moments as well I think we learn a lot more from people's worst moments and knowing that that's true that it's not 
kind of hammed up in a way that mm. there's not like a natural circularity because it's a narrative construct. It's like life got very difficult and I had to do X, Y, Z work. I hear what you mean about it being forever because the news cycle is so quick, mm. but like her kids could obviously read that. And Do you think it's fat, like, because it's difficult because like you said, it's really worthy in that it's really going to help people. But as an individual, are we pushing writers to get deeper and further into their personal lives in order to stay valuable to, to publications or whatever? Like, is the payoff worth it, would you think? I know that we all talk quite mm. personally and vulnerably, but there's some things that I do think, is it an exploitation? I completely get what you mean. And I feel like when I first started out as a journalist, I feel like I put everything on a plate for people to just like ravage at. Mm. And I really do feel icky about those moments. And if I had my way, I would have changed that and I would have them deleted off the internet. I agree. Um, Not about you, about me. (laughs) I was gonna say, did you read my pieces? (laughs) Fuck no. I don't know what it is like now for like young writers and whether they feel like they get pushed into it as much. I will say when I was coming up about like maybe five years ago, there was like a real, there was like a real time of like, everyone just writing personal essays personal Mm. essays personal essays and like it was almost like everyone's oppressed by just like existing so you can write about anything whether it's like the fact that your hair is short that there's oppression in that or like I don't know you're like being empowered by like wearing red shoes write about that it was just like the bar was so fucking low yeah I I, actually that's probably a little bit before our kind of our time but like Exo Jane do you remember which it was no oh it was the most bonkers place on the internet I think it began in 2011 like Kat Monell was a writer there um they did the most bonkers it was like the kind of personal essay industrial complex they had a they had a piece go viral that was like my friend joined ISIS. It can <gasps> happen to you. Another piece that was like, I had a cat hairball in my vagina. Like what? the most bonkers. Were they, and were they name attached? Uh, yeah, often they were. God. It was such a time on the internet. And like, we. I think it's good that we don't have that anymore. Like it went under, but it was the most bonkers kind of like personal essays. And I think it was a real moment that I wonder whether we're skewing back towards kind of humiliation bait do you remember that actually perfect segue like as in for you to say that just because I was about to say the piece from the woman who was like I think my husband's really ugly now do you oh, remember yes. this and he was actually that. and he was yeah. so good looking and also it kind of that kind of wasn't the piece either that also kind of wasn't what she was saying but they had a full photo shoot do you remember what paper I it was do, uh, I was it was like a is it like a kind of Sunday, Sunday time style or something like that yeah and so there was like a full photo shoot them at home as a family oh. and the title was literally like I don't think my husband's attractive anymore. Cut to this absolutely stunning man. But then the problem with that was the piece was obviously way more complex and nuanced than that. And she was talking about how like your attraction wanes with time, which is normal. But obviously everyone was just ripping into the fact that this woman had called her husband unattractive. And then all of these women were just kind of like quote tweeting it being like, I remember I'll get this. with you or like. <sighs> and has this happened to you guys when a headline has been like really misleading and constantly journalists I follow have to be like, guys, remember I don't do yes. the headline. And I don't think it's ever happened to me like that, but I see it all the time. Happened to me in a women's health piece where it was like, I was writing a piece that I thought was called the psyche of social media. And I was supposed to be investigating like, why people do social media and then they called it am I really a narcissist <gasps> but I know any format and I was like I was devastated mm. and then my God. friend was like 
it was in the print edition. She was like, don't worry, way more people read your Instagram than they read the print edition of Women's Health. True. But, and also like now I kind of get it because I'd never really done journalism before. I was like, are you joking me? And they didn't tell me it was going to be that before. I think so it is bad. weird luring people to write these things. And Richard, to go back to what you said about what you wrote at the beginning of your career, I, I really, I'm very glad I didn't write more personal pieces. When young writers come to me, I say, just sit on it. Yeah. I said this in an interview the other day, just sit on those stories, allow them to kind of become what they become, get some hindsight and then you can write about them if you want because you can never get that back the internet is forever even if it's buried you know page 45 of google it is there and i think a lot of the time editors are not thoughtful when they commission young women they just know they'll get clicks and they just they're at the mercy of the internet and the internet as we've seen cruel wasteland but do you think this article would have carried less weight if she was anonymous if we didn't know who'd i think it matters it's her because she is a writer who has never kind of shied away from saying like yes this is me and I think it's the fact that she is a quite well-known writer she'd announced her divorce like the end of last year so like people are aware of her and her husband so I think for them to announce their divorce and then now say spoiler alert we're actually not getting divorced I think that is a really interesting like to have a public divorce and then like publicly say no we've found a way to make this work maybe just being a journalist part of the job is signing a contract in a way of knowing that anything that happens in your personal life can and will be used in an article yeah. that you write like a uh, cat person and things like i loved cat person i did as well i didn't watch the film no me neither no i didn't watch the film but it was such a moment in time See, I, t- I absolutely love personal essays and then i do get this conflict because it's always like this idea of like i just feel worried that people are writing them maybe not in her i don't know but people are writing them because they know that that's a transaction in order to be successful and that if you don't do it like in the devil wears prada or like in how to lose a guy in 10 days these really kind of arbitrary journalism jobs they've got like 10 girls waiting in the wings to like fill up maybe i'm literally just like watching the rom-coms where i'm thinking i do think that is the state of things because we do see these people are searching for the kind of virality that we've seen with these two pieces and maybe it's just luck or maybe it is the model I think it's by design. I think there's something to be said about the kinds of fame you can get as a writer. I'm thinking of like Dolly Alderton and how she's recently, I think in her in her profile with Annie Lord in the Sunday Times from a few months ago, mm. spoke about how um, her runaway success, Everything I Know About Love, she put a lot of her life and her friendships and herself into that. People consumed it. People still consume it. There's a new generation of like Gen Zs loving it now. But now she's older she feels a certain way about like how much she overshared Mm. about herself. And I think that about all these writers, if you get to the stratospheric level she has, most of them share a lot of their personal life or have done in the past so that people feel like they know them and have these relationships to them. And have on the way up. Yeah, and have a parasocial relationship to them. Everyone thinks of Dolly as like their bestie, which is part of the charm of her. Everyone feels like they know her. And I feel like, obviously it depends on what kind of writer you want to be but I do think there is this assumption and I think it's true that if you want to be ultra famous if you want to be very successful you have to basically open up your life to people because only then will you get the audience that someone like Dolly has I also love that piece with Annie Lord but you've so succinctly put I guess what I was trying to get at but couldn't quite conceptualize which is that people tell these stories because maybe not this writer I'm actually not familiar with her but when you're maybe not that well known or your name isn't like in everybody's mouths and you can write something and then maybe won't be that many real life consequences to you having bared your soul and like maybe there'll be a bit of buzz but a few days later it's gone but if you do create like reach stratospheric heights of fame 
And then there is this story out there. Like when you walk down the street, you're like, oh shit, I've said that thing. And like that person looking at me, are they looking at me because they've read it? I think that's where mm. the, the trouble comes in is maybe as a writer, you can be under the radar for a long time. People don't necessarily know what journalists look like. There's something about bearing yourself, even thinking about influence. And I've done this, like doing the get ready with me videos where they start from their underwear and they get dressed. There's something about bearing yourself. It's like a buy-in yeah. to a potential later fame or whatever. And then actually maybe you feel icky when you get there because you're like, God, look how much I traded to get here. And it's just very like the chances of getting to where you want to go by like exchanging this is quite low. Uh, It just feels a bit like we're all trying to keep up and like what a metric to try and keep up with where we have to become more and more vulnerable. It just doesn't feel sustainable. So did you guys read the essay by Rebecca Jennings in Vox where it was called Everyone's a Sellout Now and it's basically talking about much like we're talking about now, not particularly about personal essays, but about social media, how everyone is having to almost like brand themselves and like get onto TikTok. And she talks about, I think maybe, I can't remember, was it like an accountant or a doctor or something whose boss was encouraging them, not a doctor, I think it was an accountant or something to get onto TikTok to like get a bigger audience and progress in their career. And it's just like, no industry is safe from this idea of doing unpaid labor, Mm -hmm. of exploiting and basically like, yeah pimping out your life on social media to try and get people to notice you and it's it's cringy no one wants to do it there's no promise that it will ever even work out for you but we're all being made to feel like we have to yeah statistically it's not going to yield financial success or like material success so what like and I think it changes like the lived experience of a moment to wonder about how it's going to be perceived on a second screen so whether it is a personal essay a blog a TikTok 52 parts or otherwise we're encouraged to like cannibalize our own lives zero in on the most difficult moments most embarrassing moments and share them without real incentive or reason to mm. it's like in trick marriage on Tolentino I can't remember what she says but she's like the self is the last frontier of capitalism or something it's like the last oh. thing we have to sell oh. I've completely misquoted that with something like that I feel like I need to reread that it's just never it just it's continues to be book. relevant in a really spooky scary way So we mentioned The Devil Wears Prada earlier up top. Did you guys know that the musical is coming? It's opening up in the West End in October. I'm so excited. Me too. Yes, Yes. we have to. Vanessa Williams is going to be Miranda Priestly. I know. She's from Ugly Betty and Desperate Housewives. Oh, legend. Yes. Do we know any other cast members? I haven't seen any. We they did only just know seen, Miranda yeah. They did a big yeah. announcement for her. So it could be like a real all-star. I've actually never been to see a play when it's like the all-star cast. I always, by the time I go and see it, it's just like, well, they're still really good actors, but it's not like, they're for the, you know, they like start them <laughs> off and it'll be like really famous. Yeah. Was that rude? Sorry, actors. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and only just call them B-list. <laughs> B-list. <laughs> Z-list. So on Book Club News, we have, I think about two weeks until we're discussing Eliza Clark's Penance. I know Richira has her copy and is reading it. I have my copy and I'm reading it. Anoni Good. has not done the <laughs> shopping Anoni! or reading it, but I will soon. Okay, yeah. You two need the weeks. 11th hour pressure. Yeah. Don't forget to have a look in the show notes because we leave all the links to everything we've discussed down there. Any article, personal essay, TikTok that we've mentioned, they're always in the show notes. So do double check there. And please do leave us a review, five stars if you don't mind. It really helps us out and it helps other people find it and it makes us smile. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 